Good morning. It is Thursday, August 27th on the Joe Moran Show. Uh, excited to be here. Um, it's been an interesting morning so far. Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman, had his annual Jackson Hole press conference, albeit this one was virtual, um, but nevertheless held it. And there is a lot to cover, a lot to cover regarding his speech. And we already knew the tenets of his speech and the overall theme, the messaging, the new information and change in policy. But nevertheless, um, it's more interesting that he's actually said it and we know that it's going to be fully implemented and so we have to talk about it also want to cover kind of unemployment we had some unemployment data come out as long as well as uh, new home sale data and want to talk about the GDP revision as well as some interesting things that Fidelity is doing regarding digital assets. So, full packed show today. Your host, Joe Moran. Well, it is the Joe Moran Show, so makes sense that I would be your host. And let's get rolling. So, the key takeaways from Jerome's speech and... What I would like to point out is the actions taken by the Fed today give the Fed, the respective um, Fed presidents as well as the chairman, a lot more discretion in terms of how they make a decision regarding interest rates, what they think unemployment should or shouldn't be, how they enact policies to achieve their inflation objective. It gives gives the Fed a lot more discretion on how to implement these policies because really what they did is they created more gray in their process. I mean, they really talked about three different things. One, and really the first one, let's call it unemployment or achieving maximum employment. So that was the first thing. They talked about their inflation target, right? Right? And how the inflation target is no longer 2%, but it's the average of 2%. So, again, trying to understand what their motivations are, what their goals are, what their objectives are 
But let's be clear. The things that they outlined, which we'll cover in more detail, is they want discretion to act and not be tied down to a mathematical formula. They don't want to be tied down to a chart or the Phillips curve. They want to be able to act. without having to answer the questions of why and how they came to the decision that they did. Because it's no longer mathematical, right? So an average rate of 2%, what, is that, what does that mean? An average inflation target of 2%. Well, If inflation is currently at 1%, let's say, right? Let's just throw it out there. Um, I think the CPI index last month was point, I want to say it was 0.6, um, slightly above expectations of 0.3, but let's just say that it's 1%, okay? And at an average of two for inflation, that would mean, okay, well, we need to have a equal or general inflation rate of 3%, right? So one plus three, four divided by two, you get your 2% average rate. Well, could they run it to three and a half? Could they run it to four? What happens if inflation drops to 0.5%? Does that mean that they're going to run it to three and a half, four, five percent? It just provides them a lot more latitude without having to be held to any um, clear data point, right? And that was really the main thing that I've taken away. And, and we'll, like I said, we'll go into detail, but the main thing that I, t that I took away and, and Powell, I mean, he talked about transparency. He talked about accountability. We need transparency. We need accountability. There's a lack of faith in institutions around this country. Uh, this is, this is what Powell was saying. And in global and, and frankly, even global institutions, and we're trying to increase transparency, increase accountability. Well, that's great. And, you know, can appreciate the, the press conference, Fed chair. But if we don't understand how you arrive at certain decisions because they're no longer black and white decisions. And I'll be the first one to admit that the macroeconomic landscape understanding what's happening throughout the various central banks, what their motivations are, what their incentives are, what they're trying to achieve. I mean, it isn't a mathematical formula, right? There's some assumptions that have to be made. You have to infer. 
but to create more gray area in terms of what they're trying to achieve doesn't sit well. Not feeling it. Not feeling it. So, first thing of note, and really the mandate by the Fed, is two things. So they want to achieve maximum employment, and previously they wanted to have a target inflation rate of 2%. So, let's talk about the employment mandate. So there's a new wrinkle that Fed talk, the Fed chair talked about today, which is really striving to have a strong labor market. Here, I'll just read the quote. It says, this change reflects our appreciation for the benefits of a strong labor market, particularly for many in low and moderate income communities. In addition, and this is, so that's, that, that's a key part. So they're talking about specifically the wealth inequality and um, overall employment inequality, the jobs gap, if you will, between kind of high wage earner, earners and low wage earners. But so that's 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 of note. Let's let's keep that in our hip pocket here. And then it says, in addition, a revised statement says that our policy decision will be informed by our assessments of the shortfalls of employment from its maximum level rather than by deviations from its maximum level. As in a previous statement, this change may appear subtle, but it reflects our view that a robust job market can be sustained without causing an outbreak of inflation. So to me, when I see assessments of the shortfalls, compared to deviations from its maximum level, Powell is saying, well, we're going to use our discretion. And we're going to use this gray area to say that the current unemployment rate or current employment throughout this country is not at its maximum level. And they're going to be the judge and jury of that decision. No longer are they talking about deviation. So when you think of deviation, you think about the difference, right? So the difference from the mean, the difference from the average standard deviation and standard deviations and deviations those can be calculated right there's a formula for that but their assessments of the shortfalls how do we mathematically derive assessments of the shortfalls. And the Fed 
tried to balance full and maximum employment with inflation. That's what they were trying to do, right? That's kind of what the Phillips curve was all about. But they're saying that it doesn't matter, right? Look at what's happened the past 20 years. We haven't been able to achieve anything that resembles a consistent 2% inflation target, even at full employment. So what does that tell us? It means they're pushing the chips to the middle because we have so much debt, so much debt on the balance sheets, on the Fed balance sheet. We have social welfare programs that need to be paid for. We have baby boomers retiring, exiting the workforce. And we're going to need more bazookas if we want to hit this inflation average target of 2%. They're not worried about it, folks. Right? We have too much debt. So we can't afford to have deflation because that means we're not going to be able to pay for the debt. So we need more dollars in the system. We have to have more dollars in the system to meet our debt obligations. That's what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. You know, it's interesting what happened, you know, during the speech, the dollar, so the DXY index, which we've talked about, gold, interest rates, Bitcoin, had some fascinating movements throughout the speech. So, Powell started speaking around 8.10, I think, this morning. You know, within the first 10 minutes of his speech, the DXY went from, let's call it, a open... of, I don't know, 93, let's call it 93.06, and dropped all the way to 92.42, so significant drop, about 60 pips, and within that same period, went up, as high as 93.32, so almost one full percent change. 
just within the speech time frame. Um, same thing, right? So gold was up within the first 10 minutes of the speech and then later dropped down. Bitcoin, I mean, just just fascinating to watch in real terms and, and, and in real time. Went from an open of 11.3, let's call it 11,300. Shot all the way up to 11,600 before dropping all the way back down to 11.2, you know, 11.250. And, you know, it's back out at 11, let's call it 320-ish, somewhere in there. So just fascinating movements. The 10-year treasury skyrocketed about 70 basis points. So just some fascinating movements um, that have happened. But it all comes back to the Fed is going to run this economy hot, 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 hot. Because there's too much debt on the balance sheets. And the only way to be able to pay it back is to run the economy full bore and have enough dollars in the system to meet its obligation. It's the only way. It is the only way. So let's get back to his speech. So the Fed used to rely heavily on the Phillips curve, right? So when the Phillips curve was steep, inflation tended to rise with full employment or with the strengthening labor market. Well, that hasn't happened historically or in the relative in relative terms. Let's say in the last, you know, five, ten years. You know, pre-pandemic, we had, the United States had a unemployment rate that was less than 4%. And the United States still was not meeting its inflation target. So, you know, how relevant is that Phillips curve in terms of making decisions? The Fed was not able to hit its inflation target while we were at maximum employment. Now, why couldn't we hit the inflation target? Well, the basket doesn't really represent the things that, where we see inflation in our daily lives. What's happening to your medical bills? What's happening to the cost of education? What's happening to the prices of food at the grocery store? I mean, there's inflation out there. Make no mistake about it. It's just in a different basket than what the Fed uses to calculate inflation. But what that tells us and what the Fed is saying is employment can be at maximum or near maximum employment. So we can be under 4% and not achieve our inflation targets. And the reason that this is the case is because of technology. Technology is inherently deflationary. And the Fed can't compete with this market force. 
I'll say that again. The Fed can't compete with this market force. So, what does the Fed have to do to hit an average rate of 2%? It's going to take an incredible amount, incredible amount of money printing. There needs to be significant fiscal spending fiscal stimulus remember are the United States velocity of money is at an all-time low so if dollars aren't circulating then you're not going to have inflation as the Fed would calculate it so it's going to require a bazooka. It's going to require mass printing. Or they're never going to hit it. And this is why the Fed is not tying itself to any mathematical formulas and it's why they're creating gray areas because the amount of stimulus and printing that it's going to require to offshoot what's happening with technology and the deflationary environment so not only do we have technology, right? Technology is deflation, right? Because it streamlines, creates efficiencies, takes costs out of processes, right? So you're dealing with that. Again, we have baby boomers retiring every single day. It's deflationary because they're going to spend less. We're at, you know, 10% unemployment, deflationary, right? So the amount of stimulus that is going to be required, I can't even begin to comprehend what that looks like. Now, they said that they were coming to this conclusion before... The pandemic. That may or may not be true, but the pandemic certainly accelerated it. And don't expect any significant changes overnight. But over the next, let's call it two, three, four, five years. And frankly, I would say this whole decade before we get to like 2027 to 2030, where things get really dicey due to the social welfare programs and the um, 
the bills that are due, right, to, to pay for those programs. But there's going to be mass printing. And, you know, I'll bring it back to what we talked about right at the beginning. And it's something that Powell said that's going to continue to stick with me. And he's absolutely right. That there's a lack of faith right now in global institutions. So he's trying to create a transparent environment where the Fed can be held accountable for its actions. Right? That's what he said. But what happens to the global faith? You know, 80% of all international trade is conducted in dollars. Every country needs dollars to pay for their international trade to service those debt obligations what happens to the faith the global faith and in the institution of the dollar when there's this mass printing because they're not going the other direction they're not tightening Right? We thought we had quantitative easing before. We thought we had an easy monetary policy before. They 10x'd it. Ten X'd it. I mean what we're about to see in the coming year, two, three, four, five years, is gonna be unprecedented in terms of dollar printing. And the impact of these variables that are deflationary, whether it's baby boomers retiring, whether it's the 14.5 million Americans that continue to file for unemployment, or the impact of technology which is only going to continue to get more deflationary. I mean, we haven't talked about this yet, but automation is here on some level, right? For blue collar workers and warehouses, um, assembly lines, you know, we have robots, right? Doing a lot of the work. But what people don't realize is white-collar jobs, office jobs that we previously thought weren't automatable are automatable. And in 5, 10, 15 years, they're not going to have a job. And that's extremely deflationary. It's coming. It is absolutely coming. I've seen it. So the amount of printing, the point is the amount of printing that's going to happen is going to be unprecedented. 
And I think Powell hits it, even though he's trying to do the opposite, is you're going to have a global system where the Fed is front and center because we control the dollar. The Fed controls the dollar. They are the global bank. There's going to be a lack of faith in this global institution and the global institution of the dollar because of the printing. That's what's going to happen. So, fascinating times. Fascinating times. You know, what what always fascinates me, and, and really since the pandemic, and since I really started to get knee-deep into kind of global, you know, macroeconomic issues and the Fed and how they do these press conferences and news releases is it always coincides with unemployment data and claims data being released. Why is that? Why is that? I mean, you can go back to March 23rd when the Fed said that there was no longer price discovery in junk bonds and the Fed would buy junk bonds for zombie companies. That was on Thursday. If I'm remembering this correctly. Let me check. Let me check. Yep. Actually, that was a Monday. Excuse me. But they always come out with these new, this news, this press conference, all this activity on Thursdays, right when the claims data comes out. Why? Diversion. They're trying to pump the markets. They don't want you to look at how bad the underlying real economy is. The pandemic started showing its face in February. Everything shut down in March. Things started opening up in June. It is now the end of August, so we've had June, July, August. And today, next Thursday will be September, but today, There was still over a million new jobless claims in the past week. Still over a million. Continuous claims. Slightly better, but still at 14.5 million people. Yeah, it's better than the 25 million that we had in, you know, March, April. But 14.5 million is significant. Does that sound like temporary layoffs to you? 
I don't think so. I don't think so. And this is where the fiscal stimulus comes into play. If you have 14 and a half to 15 million workers continue to be on unemployment, new claims on a weekly basis is still 1 million or about 1 million, then the job market's not getting better. If people aren't and don't have the ability to be employed, then they're not going to be able to pay their mortgage, not going to be able to pay their rent, not be able to buy other goods and services. And that's what crushes the economy, right? So the fiscal component of this can't be forgotten. It is imperative that Congress gets their act together and gets this done. But the Senate is on recess, right? They took a break. They went on vacation, went home. Wasn't important for them to get to work on this. Right? It's just lives at stake, right? Think about that. 14 and a half million people continue to file for unemployment. And... Automation is coming. It's coming. So, understanding those two things, there has to be fiscal stimulus. There has to be a mechanism to prop up demand. This is a consumption driven economy. It is a demand-driven economy. The wealthy in this country need the lower ends of society to spend money so the wealthy can stay wealthy. That's how it works. The wealthy are buying assets. Right? With their free cash flow. The lower tiers of society are buying bread. They're just trying to eat. They're not buying assets. So, you have to get the lower, middle, you know, it's called middle, upper classes to spend dollars to keep demand propped up so we know that fiscal stimulus is going to come it has to or it's political suicide 
And again, these people aren't interested in losing their jobs. They don't want to go back to an office. Yeah, they bang the phone and they have to fundraise nonstop and it's a pain in the ass. But it's better than dealing with some executive's bullshit, right? Punching a 10 key. Writing some business memo. Arguing in a courtroom. So, you know, you know that fiscal stimulus is coming because they want to keep their jobs. They want to keep their jobs. GDP was revised down <laughs> slightly. Q2. Um, hooray, right? How positive. Slightly better by 1%. Better than, ex- better than expected. Better than expected. Give me a break. You know, Powell said that it's going to take two or three years to get unemployment back. So if there's a demand gap, what does that mean for GDP? You think it's going to be back to normal? We think we're going to be back to where we were pre-pandemic and Q4, Q1 of 21? No, no. Let's use some critical thinking skills. So, you know, it's all positioning. It's all how you... understand, digest the noise, and let's just look at the facts, right? Let's just look at the facts. So real economy shit, right? Stock market continues to go up. You know, the Fed continues to juice it. They're going to run the economy as hot as they can um, to get it back to where it used to be pre-pandemic. And because pre-pandemic, we weren't even hitting our inflation target at 2%, we're going to run it even harder, hotter, because of all of the deflationary forces that are at work. And that brings me to the last thing that I want to talk about for today in this wonderful world that we live in. Fidelity is actually doing something fairly interesting. They are creating a new digital asset fund called the Wise One Fund for wealthy clients to invest in Bitcoin, specifically. And once this fund gets created, 
and they filed it with the SEC, um, you know, it's just a matter of time. What does that mean for the price of Bitcoin? Again, we've talked about this, right? Hard assets in a world with endless printing, with endless debasement, are only going to go up in value. They're the ones that are going to capture that inflation. Amongst other things that you need but don't want. So... Fidelity understands the need for their clients to be in Bitcoin. There's a German ETF for Bitcoin. There's been a lot of new tools that have been um, pushed out, pushed out to help financial advisors um, give them some tools for custodial. Uh, custodial tools and other things to invest parts of their clients portfolio in Bitcoin and Jerome Mr. Powell just told us that they're not turning off the money printer they're just taking it to another level so it's, it's fascinating to see and to understand these trends in real time because they're not, it's not going backwards, right? It's not, there's no, um, there's no going back to the way things were pre-pandemic which we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about but it's a paradigm shift it's a paradigm shift so that's it for today's show fascinating stuff with pal we'll have more tomorrow once we hear what the talking heads have to say Um, But we're going to give you a top-level intellectual discussion without all the fluff, all the bullshit, and what it really means. Um, Trying to raise that level of discourse, the quality of the conversation, cut through the BS and the spend cycle um, that you get on CNBC when it comes to the underlying second order effects and the motivations and incentives of the Fed and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, And look, you got to understand what's happening in the world today if you want to capitalize on it. You know, we don't... I used to have this conversation with a co-worker... um, and she would always ask me, she'd say, hey, you're so negative, right, um, about the world and about the economy and the, how things are positioned, how they're set up, what the institutions are doing. And I would say, no, that's not true at all. This is the reality. This is the situation. This is the current landscape 
of how the world works, how the economy works, how the game's being played by the professionals. And we have to put ourselves, we have a duty, we have an obligation to put ourselves in the best position to be successful at the game that's being played. And that's all this is about. That's it. It's about putting yourself in a position to be successful long term knowing how the game is being played. Well, they're telling us how the game's going to be played. Low interest rates, check. Printer, check. We're going to have high unemployment. In perpetuity, check. So, we understand the implications. Technology, deflationary, check. There's a lot of debt on the corporate balance sheets, on government balance sheets, central bank balance sheets, check. You understand what the game is. And then it's up to you to play the game to win. And that's all we're trying to accomplish here. So, until tomorrow, everybody. This is the Joe Moran Show. And let's keep our ears to the grindstone.